0: I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father My father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set, by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto and the ends of the earth now this was the second book that um, that Luke wrote the first one being the Gospel of Luke which I'm sure that most of you are familiar with and in the Gospel of Luke he also addresses it to this person called Theophilus now Luke was, a, was was a phys- physician and he was one of Paul's um, he went with Paul on, on many of his missionary journeys and throughout the book we will see him coming up again and again in the wee bits of the of the of the, um, of the book of uh, acts um, and the book was written about 170 uh, no the first person who who suggested that this was written by Luke was in writing was in 100, A.D. 170, so it's been quite a long tradition that Luke actually wrote this book, although he doesn't ever identify himself in the book. Um, and they reckon it was written somewhere around about A.D. 62, somewhere around about that time, just before uh, Paul's trial, because that's where Paul, where um, Luke ends his story. And a number of scholars have said how accurate this book is because he brings out customs of the day that have been verified elsewhere. So it's a very accurate book. This is just a boring introduction so that everyone understands where we're going from. But the main structure of this book can be found in verse 8 where he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we see in this book. We see everything starting in Jerusalem, and then it goes out to Samaria, where the Samaritans, who were despised by the Jews, who were a mixture of Jewish and, and Gentile blood, and who worshipped God in a different way, it spreads to there. And then it spreads to the ends of the earth. And we find in the final book, we find the final chapter, we find Paul right in the heart of the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel that Jesus is King, right under the nose of Nero, of, of the emperor. But Luke leaves his story without a conclusion. He wants us to understand that we are part of this story. This is the beginning. This is how everything started. One of the amazing things about, people say, how do we know Christ exists? But you can follow the church history right the way down through from the beginning, right the way till now, of of men who who worshipped him, followed and taught about him. The church has a continual history and we're now part of that. But notice in verse 1 that Luke tells us that his previous work, his Gospel, was about what Jesus began to do and teach. And this implies that this book is about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection and ascension. Jesus and his physical body only appears in the first nine chapters of Act, uh, nine verses of Acts, apart from his appearance to Paul on the, road, on the road to Damascus. But the spirit of Jesus permeates this book as he continues his work through his people who are now... His body on on earth and if you think about it for three years his disciples had Jesus's physical presence there with them they could ask him questions and now Jesus was there in a different way by his spirit and they had to learn how to relate to Jesus in a completely different way and this book reveals some of their struggles some sometimes they got things right and sometimes they got things wrong and the lovely thing about the Bible and the lovely thing about, about um, Acts is it doesn't hide any of those things. So this book shows that, that Jesus didn't just finish his ministry, just, didn't just finish when he died, but it continues on. In verse 3 it tells us that Jesus gave the many proofs that he was alive. And the resurrected body of Jesus was different than ours for a start, he could seem to be able to appear in a room when the doors were all closed. And there was one occasion in, in the, uh, near the end of, of Luke where um, they were all together and Jesus appears and they think he's a ghost. And he says, have you got anything to eat? And they find him some fish and he eats the fish to show that he wasn't just a ghost, he was a real body, that he really had a body. But it was different. And this is our great hope as Christians. It isn't just, I used to think it was just about going to heaven when we die. And that is part of it. But the great hope of us as Christians is that we will once again be resurrected. We will once again stand upon this earth which has been renewed and made like God intended it in the first place. And we will have bodies that that are like Jesus. They won't be the same. They'll be different, but they will be physical which was a startling idea in the first century, anyhow. But um, I think it's something that we miss as Christians. Notice in verse 3 that it tells us that he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus had triumphed over the grave On the cross, he defeated sin, Satan, and death. And in his his resurrection, he showed himself to be Lord and King. And the great theme throughout his ministry on earth, up until his death, had been the kingdom of God. And it was the great theme he returned to after his resurrection. Jesus has been crowned King of all heaven and earth. The words, words Christ or Messiah actually mean King, and sometimes we use Christ as sort of a surname. But it actually means king. And any first century Jew who heard the word Messiah or Christ would know we were talking about king. So the kingdom of God is not just something that we will go to in heaven. It's not just something that we will enjoy when we die. The kingdom is here. The kingdom has already been inaugurated through Jesus conquering death and, and, uh, and, being, and being resurrected and um, now ruling and reigning. We're told in Scripture, Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That's what we've been taught to pray and that's how we've been taught that we should live. So at the moment we don't see the fullness of the kingdom, but the kingdom is now. And this book is about how the apostles went around planting little communities of the kingdom here on earth. Little places where um, the, the love and the justice of God was shown. Um, People whose lives were completely changed. And that's what this book is about. Notice in verse 6 it says, So when they come together they said, Lord, at this time will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's like the disciples still had the same common view that most of the Jews at that time had. They were looking for a Messiah who would come, destroy the Romans, throw them out, set up his king Kingship in, in Jerusalem and rule the world from it, and a great golden age would come to to um, Israel, so they still had this this idea very firmly in their mind, and in the previous verse we' told that Jesus spoke to them about the, the coming of the spirit and there 's a lot of uh, prophecies in, in Isaiah and other places where it talks about how the spirit will flow from the Messiah out to the to the ends of the earth, and so they still made this mistake and that they thought that Jesus was the same sort of Messiah that that their culture had told him that that he would be. They didn't realise that he was doing something different, even though the whole cross thing was not something that was on their radar. When he died, they didn't really understand that, and they still didn't understand this. But notice what he says to them. He tells them that it wasn't for them to know the times that the Father has set by his own authority. The fullness of the kingdom will come to earth, but it wasn't for them to know when this will take place. These things will happen by a time set by the Father's authority. Jesus will return to bring justice to the earth, but it wasn't for them to know the timing. What they needed to, to know was that they would receive power to be his witnesses, and I think we get caught on side issues like this. The time and the second coming of Christ is, is one of those things that just keeps coming up over the centuries. People have predicted Jesus is coming, he's coming next week or next month or next year, and they've been wrong time and time again. And Christians have fought, have fought over different interpretations of certain prophecies and about how this is all going to happen as a new Christian, I was taught that the only valid point of view about these things was a pre-tribulation rapture followed by Jesus reigning in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And I was told everyone else who held a different opinion was either an error or liberal or, or a heretic. And I completely brought into this, and I can remember, if any of you were about in the 70s, the late great planet Earth, and really got into all of that. And then as I grow, grew as a Christian and as I read more, because I've always read, not just from Christians from my stream, but from other streams, I realised there were different views on these things. And I, over the years, I've come to the opinion that where there's a disagreement on things that aren't essential for our faith, that there's a good chance that God didn't want us to know all the details. And I've read most of the different views on these things, and they all have good points, they all have bad points. So my own, my own feeling is... Jesus will return and that's all we need to know. And it's a great tradition of all orthodox Christianity that Jesus will return. But we need to hear what Jesus is saying. We need to hear that it's not for us to know the times and the dates. But the return of him is to be a spur for for doing the job that he's given us. And he has parables that we've read um, over the years where he tells us about him coming suddenly. And that must be the way that we should all live our lives, not worrying about whether this is a sign or that's a sign, but trusting he will come again at at some time. But we don't need to know all the details. That's in the Father's hands. And the command here that he has, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, which my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with... Or in water, but in a few days you will be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what they needed. They could have gone out, and they could have started spreading the word, but they needed power, and they needed to wait. They needed to wait until the Spirit had come upon them to empower them. Now, I, I always thought that after this all happened and Jesus ascended, that they all sort of hid themselves away. Um, but I was reading um, i was reading something by uh, John Piper, and he showed in, in the end of... Uh, um, the end of uh, Luke. Luke tells us that actually, they in fact, I'll find it. It's in Luke twenty-four. He said, after the ascension, it says, "And they were continually in the temple, blessing God." So it looks as if what had happened to them—they were these were real Christians. There is no doubt about that. Jesus, if you remember, in 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 the end of John, he breathed upon them and said, receive my Holy Spirit. But these men needed something different. They needed a new power from God, a new movement of the Holy Spirit upon their lives that they might do the mission that he he had commanded. It was so great that it couldn't be done without help. In their strength, they could do nothing. They needed power to be witnesses. They needed power, they needed his power, power to live lives that were worthy of the Lord, power to perform signs and wonders, and of great importance, power to be his witnesses. The preaching of gospel must be done with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can have our best plans, we can be trained to the utmost, but unless we have power, unless we have this power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, whatever we do is of none effect. Anyone who remembers some of the old Pentecostal so, they used to have tarrying meetings where they would tarry, they would wait for the Holy Spirit. And it all sounds rather quaint, they, you know, you tarry and wait for the Spirit. But maybe they're onto something. Maybe we don't spend enough time just waiting upon the Lord. And over and over again, we see in, in, in the Psalms and other parts of the Scriptures about waiting upon the Lord. Sometimes we're rushing off with our plans, but we're not waiting for his spirit to come upon us. Now, what happened in uh, Pentecost seems to be a one-off thing, except there are other times throughout the Acts where we see the same people waiting for God and the spirit coming on and empowering them. To to do the work that God has called us, to witness in the way he wants us, we need his power. We need his power to, to, to make this real. A witness needs to be credible if you have a witness that lies, you, you you know, you don't believe them. If their lives don't seem to show the right thing. So the Holy Spirit is partly to do that. But we need power and boldness to speak the words that God has given us. And I for myself I find that something that I lack terribly. And I know I was baptised in the Spirit because I spirit spoken in tongues and all that sort of thing. But this powerful witnessing that Jesus tells us they need, this power to stand boldly and to proclaim the word, is something that I think we just desperately need again in this country, in the church. We need God to come in power afresh on us. Not just so that we might have tingly feelings and all of that sort of stuff, but that it does the work that it's supposed to do in our lives. I've been reading a book by a man called Athanasius who was... was, uh, who wrote around about the time of the Nicene um, Creed. And he was a great defender of um, the divinity of Christ. And he wrote a book called On the Word of God. And he wasn't talking about the Bible. When the ancients talked about the Word of God, they were talking about Jesus. And in this book, he he shows how all the miracles of Jesus show how uh, all the different gods that were served were brought to nothing. He showed that that he was more powerful than any of them. And then as he goes through the book, he comes to the church and he talks about how this is the only faith that that spread throughout the earth. No one changed their gods in the ancient world. They might add another god, but they didn't change their gods. But people of no education were changing um, from one god to the true god. And then there was the witness of men, women and children who were tortured to their deaths and still... They virtually sneered at death because of the power of God upon them, because of this boldness that was within them. And when you read this, you realize wow, what a glorious church. It had its problems, but what a glorious church it was at that time because they were so empowered by the Spirit of God. And I pray. And there are, of course, throughout the world, there are pockets where this is still the same. We know there's suffering in parts of the world like never before. We talk about a great tribulation, but you look at what's happening in places like China or the Middle East to Christians, where just naming the name of Jesus could mean the end of your life or imprisonment or suffering. But that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. It enables us to be firm in our faith. It enables us to be able to proclaim the word with power, that doesn't mean being obnoxious, but by but by His power, he, he He enables us to be the people He wants us to be. And I think as a church, we sometimes just need to spend time waiting upon Him and asking that He would give His power even more. I mean, we all have received from Him. We've all of us who believe in Him have been converted. The Spirit lives within us and many times some of us have had the outpouring of his Spirit upon us but we long and we need to have that outpouring again once upon us, once more that we might be his witnesses, that we might be effective in all he's called us to do. Let's pray. Father, sometimes it's so hard for us to grasp that we can really do nothing without you that it doesn't matter how good our theology is, how good our words are. Unless you empower us, Lord, we are as nothing. And Lord, that's what we desire, that your power should fall upon us afresh, that you would enliven our hearts, Father, to, to Jesus, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would reveal him to us, Father, that you would give us the boldness to be able to, to share, show with our lives, Father, and with our words and with our deeds the love of Jesus to those around us. Father, if those 11 men who spent all that time with Jesus still needed your spirit to come afresh upon, us, upon them, Lord, so do we, Father. And we need it again and again, Father. We need him to be continually filling us so that we might shine forth the life of Jesus into this dark world. Lord, we ask this, that you would do this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.